sitting here in beautiful Katy Gardens in Katy Gardens, Texas. We are so excited. We're talking about supplying the needs of a community um, and how the hearts of people have been supplied by God. See you in just a few. Well, good morning to all our viewers on the Echo Stop Live podcast. We are so glad you've joined us here today again this morning. I'm Kevin. I'm here with my good friend, Kurt. Hey, how's Curtis, it going, how are man? you this morning? I'm great, man. It's a little warm here in Texas, but hey, I'm, uh, we're, we are, we're from well, Mobile, so we can, I, we can adjust to this. I weather, will tell right? you this. It yeah. might be a little warm here, but we are turning up the heat on what we believe is the right thing. And, and I can't think of a better person than our good buddy, Marco, who has yes. given mm-hmm. up some of his time today to sit with us. Yes, um, thank you guys for inviting yeah. me on. It's a, a pleasure. I'm glad that we're doing it in the AC. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm from well, Texas. So we, I know well, thanks for allowing us to come here and take some of your time. Yes. Yeah. So um, so we're literally sitting at a table because uh, I, I believe, like, this kitchen table conversation is missing. This front porch conversation mm-hmm. we're talking about is missing. Like, let's just have a conversation. Yeah. But if we're really going to have a conversation, um, it, we have to have a relationship. And so tell, tell, tell our audience, tell our viewers just a little about yourself. Like, you know, how, how'd you wind up at this table today with yeah. us? Um, so my name is Marco Ruiz Jr. I'm from Houston, Texas. I'm 30 years old. Uh, I have a wife and three kids and, um, I'm a men's minister, a recovery minister. I help people in addiction from food, codependency, drugs, mm-hmm. and alcohol. And I also do, uh, uh, outreach, a YAPAC outreach, um, but it wasn't always like that. It didn't start there. Uh, growing up as a young man, 12 years old, my father was an alcoholic. At times he would be abusive. I would say he was a coach. So he would tell me, if I did something great, you can always do better. You can always do better. If I did something bad, it was, it was bad for me. And so growing up, I believe that my heart grew hard towards men. And then it didn't help that uh, I was abused as a young, as a young kid at 12. Uh, by an older woman, and then I got into drugs and alcohol to kind of stimulate and became chemically dependent. Uh, the the psychologist would say that I was ADHD, bipolar, schizophrenic, all that. I was like, man, I was just getting high. Like, I don't think I have any of those things. <laughs> and so, you know, they put you on meds, and they try to just help you out. And my parents weren't saved at the time. Uh, 14 years old, I was on the run from the police, and I actually went to go hide in a church, and that's Powerhouse Church in Katy. Right next door to the church, there's an alternative school called OAC, Opportunity Awareness Center. And I was on to go there because I had been in trouble in school multiple times. And one day I get into a fight, and they sit me in the office, and they're calling the police. And I said, man, how do I get out of this one? So the minute the counselor turns around, I jolt. And the closest building next to that alternative school was Powerhouse Church, Katy. Wow. So I walk into this church. It looks like a movie theater from outside. So I'm thinking, oh, I could sneak into a movie theater. I'll be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. I get into this church, and uh, there's one man, Pastor Pete, Spanish pastor at the time. And uh, God used him in a mighty way. He invited me to what they call the lock-in. So a lock-in is where they would bring the kids into like mm-hmm. a Dave and Buster's or an arcade and say, hey, we're going to be here all weekend. You're going to have a great time. Well, this was a lock-in at a church. And I'm thinking, oh, man, well, I ain't got nowhere to go anyway, mm-hmm. so I'll stay here. This is a good place to hide. It's three days. You know, keep me under out of the radar, so I'll be good. 
So then we start going through these teachings about grace, forgiveness, mercy. And I'm not church. I don't understand anything about God. I never really heard too much about Jesus. Um, but in the last teaching, uh, a minister starts saying, hey, maybe you've been here and you're hearing what we say, but you don't understand. Maybe you've been here and you heard all these teachings, mm -hmm. but you're not really paying attention. I was like, oh, man, he's talking to me. <laughs> he said, but if you want to know this Jesus and you want to find out a better way of life, come to the altar. And so I'm walking up to the altar. And next thing you know, I'm just out on the ground laughing hysterically, filled with joy. And I was like, man, what, what happened? And the truth is I had no understanding. So I walked away from that thing thinking, wow, this was a great experience. But I truly needed an encounter. I mean, by this time, I'm 14 years old. I'm a full-blown drug addict. I'm hanging around with gang members. I'm hanging around with people that carry guns everywhere they go. All of my cousins, uncles, they were in the game. And so all I knew was what was around me. Mm. You know, we become what we surround ourselves with. Um, did I have to take that right? No, but God gave me self-will, and I made the decisions to mm. follow those examples in my life. Mm. Uh, one thing I, I recognized was because my father wasn't saved at the time, I instantly started looking for another father figure. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is that for most men, it's anybody who will give them some time. And wow. so those men gave me some time. They, they shared with me. They fed me. They clothed me. When I would run away from home or get kicked out of my house, I would run to the streets and just getting connected with different men in the streets. By the time I'm 15, uh, I'm on the streets, house hopping, sleeping on park benches. And one day my cousin invites me to his birthday party. And that's where I met my wife, uh, which was my girlfriend at the time. So I'm 15. She's 18. I'm thinking, wow, this is great. You know, she's probably more mature than I am. This would be an awesome relationship. And uh, by this time, I'm kind of back in the world. I'm hustling, selling drugs. Um, I get in trouble and I go to a juvenile facility, the Center for Success and Independence in Piedmont, Houston, Texas. Uh, I go away for eight months. And she stayed with me. She waited for me. So wow. I fell in love. Mm -hmm. You know, she was giving me time. Uh, my mom and dad started going to church in the background. So they're getting saved. They're getting cleaned up. They're praying for me. You know, I don't know too much about it. I learned later that they were covering me in prayer, right? Um, so when I come home, I move in with my girlfriend and I get her pregnant right away. Mm -hmm. So now I'm 16 years old and I got a baby on the way. Mm -hmm. Haven't finished school. Only passed eighth grade, couldn't get past high school, um, don't know what to do. So I've resorted to what I knew and what all the men around me had taught me, and that was to sell drugs. So I figured, man, I have a kid on the way. Well, I need to hustle harder. Mm -hmm. I need to make more money. So I was taking felony chances trying to provide for my family. I go away again. Now my wife's pregnant. I remember this was the first time I prayed after having that experience wow. in the church. 16 years old. My wife's pregnant with my daughter, and I start praying. I say, Lord, I, if I don't ask you for nothing, please let me get home so that I can see my daughter born. And I'm praying for six months, and I got uh, released at 17 years old in December of that year. That following February, my daughter was born. He had answered my prayer. Mm. And so I'm thinking, man, this stuff works. So then I started praying for him to provide me with wealth, with riches, with more drugs, mm. Just what, you know, the, the perverted way of thinking. <laughs> mm. The sad truth is, is for the Hispanic culture, a lot of people worship Santa Muerte or the saint of death. And they believe that you tithe and give money to this saint and that they protect you from, you know, harm or uh, prison or whatever it is. So now that seed that was sown at 14, 
I recognize today that the devil was trying to corrupt it. Mm. Wow. And it was instantly. 17 years old, I have a daughter. Later on that year, now my wife's pregnant again with a son. So I'm thinking, man, two kids, 18 years old. Now I got to hustle even more harder. Mm. So now I'm selling crack. I'm doing tattoos. I'm, I'm doing whatever I need to do to make some income. At the time, I was living with my wife, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. Their father was in prison. He's a Mexican mafia member. Uh, he was serving a 45-year sentence. I thought I would never meet him. I thought he would never come around. And um, I'm here, you know, having kids with his daughter. I remember my wife said, hey, we need to go meet him. We need to go visit him. Let's take the kids to mm-hmm. go see him. I said, no, that guy's never coming home. I don't want to meet that guy. Mm-hmm. And when I was 19, uh, he came home. He got deported, came back to Houston, ended up connecting. And I thought, man, I'm going to have problems. But we hit it off and we became best friends. Mm-hmm. And that was probably not a great idea. It was probably not a, a, a great thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, he connected me with some more people that were deeper in the game. Because, you know, a lot of people in prison make more connections. They get mm-hmm. more knowledge and wisdom from the world. And, um, you know, once again, the enemy's working, trying to pervert us generation at a time. And I thought, well, all I can do is take advantage of this opportunity and hustle harder. By the time I'm 21 years old, I got three kids. I have a wife. I have a mistress, a girlfriend. I'm trying to support all these ladies. I'm house hopping. I get upset with this one. I come here. I get upset here. I come here. And I'm thinking I have everything, right? Money, cars. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids had nice clothes. I thought being a father was providing Jordans and jewelry and mm-hmm. uh, sending them to school and bringing them home. And to be honest with you, I was just a physical father. I was present, but I wasn't there emotionally, spiritually. I was not good for them mentally. I was very abusive over, uh, uh, verbally. So, But I assumed that that's what a, a father was. Mm-hmm. As long as you're there, as long as you're paying the bills, then you're doing your job. But, you know... Um, along the way, that started to show that it wasn't true. Um, I was abandoning my wife and children. I was not being the, the husband or the father that they needed. And I was repeating the cycle that my mm. father and my father-in-law did in, in our families. Um, at this time, you know, I'm 26 years old. My mom and dad have been praying for me. They're at Powerhouse Church. They're elders in the church. They have the whole church rallying around covering me with prayer, covering my family with prayer, my children with prayer. Um, I was the type of person that you had to lock me up to get me sober. I couldn't stop using. I was addicted to cocaine, promethazine, codeine, um, cough syrup, uh, marijuana, Mm. Xanax bars, ecstasy. You name it, I did it. Uh, My drug habit cost me about $10,000 a month. Wow. Mm. And so at this time, you know, we're, we're moving big weight. We're, we're moving uh, bricks of cocaine, and we're just trying to su- support our habits but also pay bills. Uh, on the outside, we looked great. Nice clothes, nice cars. I would buy my wife a car every birthday, you know. Then we'd wreck them, total them, and get another car. And, and man, I just thought that it was great. I just thought that the life I was living was amazing. I truly believe that the image I was putting off, the facade that I was putting off, that people would see me and they would glorify my lifestyle. But inside I was dead. Mm. I was empty. I was hurting. I was suicidal. I was depressed. Um, I had a a hole in my heart, a void I was trying to fill. And nothing could fill it. You know, I suffered from serious gluttony, and that was with food, women, drugs, alcohol, riches, you name it. Um, So 26 years old, 
I found out that, that I find out that my wife was having an affair. And for me, that was my rock bottom. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, man, I've been taking care of you. I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm being a great husband. I'm being a great mm-hmm. father. And then you slap me in the face in this way. That I mean, you betray me. You know, what happened? And she let me know, like, you were never here. Mm. I mean, I've been with her from when I was 15 years old. This is 11, 12 years into our relationship, and I'm thinking we're great. Three Mm. kids, Mm. you know, a big house in Katy, you know, cars, uh, had a good job. I was hustling on the side. I'm thinking, man, what more could we ask for? We're blessed. And you were actually in the mindset of I'm taking care of all my responsibilities as a man. Yeah. And you were exercising that masculinity that the world defines masculinity as, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, so toxic masculinity, right? Thinking that power brings purpose. Um, and then not having really a passion for my family. Um, I thought that I was doing what I was supposed to do. But the truth is, is that I was neglecting them. Mm-hmm. I was not a good steward of what God had blessed me with. I prayed for a wife and kids, but when I received the blessing, I was not equipped to be a man and sustain that blessing. Mm. But you've mm. you've you've made radical changes in your life, which is yeah. which is ultimately mm-hmm. how this conversation right. all began. Because we're sitting here not with the same man that is in this story that you tell. That's your testimony. That is your story of how you got here. But I, I've witnessed and had a conversation mm-hmm. with, with a, a, a great man. So we're going to take a quick break for just a minute and uh, take a little tour of the warehouse and see a little bit behind the, the ministry that is the ministry. And then we're going to come back and, and catch up with you and find out where Marco is today and, and how, how has that changed, radically changed your life and the life of many, many others. Amen. The, the owner of the warehouse basically said, I want to bless y'all with warehouse space so that y'all can run YAPAC. And so YAPAC, it stands for You Are Important People Administrating Kindness. And uh, the actual ministry started in Tennessee by a lady named Sherry, who used to suffer from uh, chronic homelessness. And whenever she started the ministry, her vision was to bless people with overstock goods from all over the world. Whenever there's a natural disaster, whenever there's something going on um, in their city, they like to go and show up and be that resource to bless the people, get them back on their feet. So right now we have about 20,000 pounds of goods. They're all miscellaneous. We have pallets of detergent, disinfectant wipes, deodorant, shaving cream, um, different hygiene products for men and women. and There's also like bags for homeless that we can fill up with miscellaneous goods, miscellaneous goods. And then we have Yay Day once a month. So when we do Yay Day, we'll have about 70 volunteers and we'll put together mixed boxes so that they can come and pick up for a family or if a a church or an outreach center says, hey, I need 300 boxes for- Boxes go out through all Texas? Yes, so we're, supporting over 40 churches, over 20 sober living homes, and the prisons of TDCJ, the Texas Department of Corrections. So we have a lot of resources, and then we have a lot of people that need it. So um, definitely the, 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 the demand is high, 
And in the four months that we've been open, we've been able to bless 45,000 people. Uh, but we can't do it alone. So I'm just one guy. So what I do is I try to find people that are boots on the ground in the city, different parts of town, to make sure that I can impact the whole uh, Houston as a whole, right, the, say, the city. So what do you think, what are your thoughts, you know, walking through a warehouse mm -hmm. where one side of it is literally blasting off to another universe? Yeah. And here we are bringing the kingdom to this world. Yes. Like, this is what you're doing here, right? Yes. So what, I mean, how does that make you feel? You're walking through like this, you know, cutting edge technology, yes. and then you come into this area where you just do like the daily thing that most yes. people need. Yeah, yeah, so it's very important that, that somebody has to do it. I think the biggest is uh, accepting the call, mm. understanding that there's a need and having the heart to want to fulfill it. Because mm. it costs a lot to want to do something like this. It is a sacrifice, it is a job, but it's also rewarding, right? that we're able to know that we are blessing people, that uh, it's not just about me, um, it's about the people. And uh, the goods are good, but it's a conduit for us to get into somebody's life, build a relationship, be able to support them in various capacities. So this is just a thing that opens the door, breaks the ice, yeah. right? Yeah, and you guys are, are doing a lot of extraordinary things. And when we talk about public safety all the time, Kevin and I mm. talk about public safety and what that looks like. You guys are part of public safety, but can you tell me how do you see yourself and what you all doing, what you guys are doing, uh, being part of public safety? Yeah, I think alleviating the pressure from impoverished families, alleviating the pressure off these kids that have needs. We go into schools with wraparound services, they're human uh, resource, that, um, um, people that work in the schools that help youth, that come in smelling like drugs or that come in and have issues at home or don't have shoes or don't have socks or need drawers or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We try to alleviate those needs to prevent them from going to the streets to having to sell drugs, to having to do something to make some money. We find ways to support them. Uh, like I said, a lot of this stuff that we have here can alleviate a couple hundreds of dollars a month for a specific family. Right, sure. Yes. So before we walk back in, you, you had said something earlier about mm -hmm. delivering something out of here and there's like a kind of a thing that you tell people when they ask you what you're doing in yeah. this warehouse and how you know if you had to sum up like what's happening here what would you yeah so uh when i was in the world and when i was avoiding everything that um was good uh, i used to pray to god for a warehouse full of dope <laughs> and you could just think about how confused that that thought is but um when i when i was reconciled redeemed and began to change my life everything that the enemy tried to use for bad god used it for good and so today we're able to serve people hope we're able to give people hope. I mean, you can, you can only imagine when a community comes in here and says, I have 300 families in need. How can we alleviate the pressure? And I can say, all these boxes right behind you, take them. We don't want nothing in return. And uh, we witnessed <laughs> with you amazing things wow. out there uh, of what's happening. Um, and here we are. And so um, you're, you're, you're at this point in your life, 26 years old. Now you're 30. Yes. Yeah, so 26 years old, um, you know, me and my wife basically confessed that we were both having affairs and we thought that nothing good was going to come of it. So we separate. I kick her out. I kick my kids out. I'm living in my house. I send them to my mother-in-law's house. I mean, I'm sharing this not to glorify it, but you can yeah. see the perversion mm -hmm. behind yeah. it, yeah. my thought process, right? Um, and so I was home alone for almost uh, half a year or so. And in that time... Everything that I gained from the curse, I had about a quarter million dollars in cash saved up. I spent it on women, 
prostitutes, drugs, alcohol, mm. and I had zero dollars left. So here I am in my house, uh, binging up for six days, no money, no wife, no kids. My mother and my father, the church are praying for me. They would reach out, text me, hey, come visit. Uh, we want to help you. What can we do? And I just hit a rock bottom. And I remember being in my living room at home and I'm sitting on the couch and I, I had been up for about five days at this time. And I'm thinking, man, this is it. Like, I have nothing left. Mm. Like, I don't know what else to do, where to go from here. And, I, and this was probably a, now we're talking about the third time, fourth time I'm praying to God. And I said, God, I was like, uh, before I take my life, I want to say a prayer. And I pray that you hear me. And I said, I want my wife to have a godly husband that would take care of her and be a good husband. Mm. The, what you intended for me, mm. I would love for you to give her a man that can do that, that could wow. give her everything I couldn't, everything that I destroyed, that you would be able to bless her with a man that was greater than I. And God, give my kids a father that would raise them up in the ways of the Lord. I have a daughter, Aaliyah, my son, Matthew, and my uh, youngest son, Jacob. And I said, Lord, give them a father that would teach them your ways, that would be a good father, that would never leave them. And I, I said, I'm about to take my life, but please answer that prayer for me. And so I cocked a 12-gauge Mossberg shotgun. Uh, I had shot it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a gun toter. You know, yeah. I, was, I love <laughs> shooting guns. I love hitting the range, uh, you know. And you got to think, um, at this point, I, ha I had broken all Ten Commandments. I mean, I was a murderer. I had hated my heart, uh, a thief, an adulterer, idolizing the, the enemy, idolizing money, um, dishonored my mother and father. What I would consider myself was a, a piece of crap. Mm. And so I put this shotgun to my head. I cocked the, tr the, the, the slug, and I pulled the trigger, and it pops. Boom! But the slug didn't come out. And I instantly bust down crying. And I'm just weeping and weeping and weeping. And I'm thinking, God, what do I do now? <laughs> and something stirred up in me. And I called my mom and I said, hey, I need help. I can't do this no more. I have nothing. No. And I just try to take my life. What do you recommend? Uh, she gave me a suggestion, but that wasn't really it. <laughs> I still had some drive in me, some hurt. So I showed up. This is probably five in the morning when I try to take my life. I knew my wife was going to work that morning at nine. So I waited for her at her job, parked in the parking lot of a mall. And when she showed up, I charged at her. And my intentions were probably to hurt her. And look at God. Um, the police show up. They grab me, pick me up. They have my mom show up. And they're like, man, he needs help. You know, they understand. I mean, the vehicle's full of drugs, full mm. of guns and Man, they just told the, my mom, hey, if you know where to take them, like, we'll help you get them there, and we'll go from there, but we don't want to charge them. And I was like, man, the Lord is so good. He was covering me, taking yeah. care of me. And guess where they take me? Powerhouse Church. Mm. Mm. You, now we're full circle, you know. 26 years old, suicidal, homicidal tendencies, uh, perverted, confused, lost. I felt like an orphan. Didn't know what my purpose was. I knew that I wanted to be a good father. I knew that I wanted to be a good husband, but I didn't know how to. And the Lord led me to the church. Get to the church. Um, they kind of corralled around me, prayed for me. I ended up going to a psych ward for a couple of days just to clear my mind, yeah. get some sleep, and then ended up going to a treatment center. 
And uh, at that treatment center, I went to the Cheyenne Center at the time. I did great. I felt good. But I came home, but I didn't yet have an encounter with Christ. I had experienced him. I had heard about him. I had some thoughts about him, but I had not yet seen who he truly was. And so I ended up going to the Wings of Life a couple months later. Mm. Wings of Life, Pastor Brandon Sanders run, runs that program today. It's funny because I used to take I-10 to go pick up drugs, and I would always mm. pass through Mobile. I never <laughs> thought I would go back to Mobile. Yeah. I thought, man, there's mm. nothing here. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I just remember going down that tunnel coming out yeah. like, you know, there's nothing going on. Yeah. But um, here we are. Pastor Brandon's pastoring at Powerhouse at the time. And God just put the dots together. They brought me together, and we had what they would say is an intervention. But I, I sit down with Pastor Brandon, Miss Carrie, his wife, yeah. Pastor Roger, Miss Pam. They were leading the recovery group at Powerhouse at the time. My wife, my children are there, my mom, my dad. And I thought, man, they're going to let me have it. But no, they just loved on me. They encouraged me. They just told me so much about how... You know, they believed that God was moving in my life and that mm -hmm. they would never leave me and that they would be there for me and support me mm -hmm. and that they would take care of everything at home that I just needed to get help. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. I just said, yeah, I'll go. You know, I'll go. Yeah. The next day I was on a plane to Mobile, got to Mobile, entered the program. Uh, it went great. I got submitted. Um, I received, you know, a lot of revelation, a lot of knowledge. Uh, learned, got some understanding, which mm. turns into wisdom. And I came home on fire. <laughs> I came home on fire, you know, um, preaching, teaching, sharing the word of God, just encourage. And God answered that prayer, that prayer that I prayed right before I was going to take my life mm. to give my wife a mm. husband that would love her yeah. like Christ loved the church, to give my kids a father that would die for them. He answered that, but I thought it was another man. But it was me. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty. Wow. I mean, that's that summarizes. Like, I, I, I listen to this story, and, and what I see and what I hear over, over decades mm. is a same inconsistent love that you thought was missing, mm. that you didn't see, distractions, noise, cloudiness of all the other things that were happening. Um, and I almost believe like there was this voice that was kind of like in, in that situation, you know, and I, I certainly don't ever pretend to speak for God, but it seems to me it's like, okay, my child, are you ready now? Right. And there was this patient waiting um, that, that took you through this entire journey, which, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you've detailed for us here, but I know every little nook and cranny and turn, there was a, there was a story in itself there um, because none of that happens on its own. And mm -hmm. so you were there tuning, tuning out. Which you, you you knew where to find the radio station when you wanted to listen, yeah. but you kind of might have tuned it out. Yeah. And then and then here you are, and now it's all you can listen to. Mm -hmm. um, and and I feel like there's a smile up in heaven, you know, where where there's somebody that says that. Now, how do you turn this passion, right? Because mm -hmm. I understand the fire. I understand the fire. Mm -hmm. Like I, I believe in that, and I understand that, and and that is not something you should ever put out. But how do you turn that fire mm -hmm. into the fuel? That helps you do what you do here in Cypress Gardens uh, or Katie Gardens in um, the uh, just the ministry that you have here. Plus, um, you hold a regular job. I mean, yeah. a lot of our, our viewers may not know the man who sits here who tells us this journey um, is still hustling, but not hustling in a bad way. Right. Like you are putting. He's managing yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. 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 You are managing a lot of things. You are leading. I, I don't even want to say managing. They may give right. you a management title, brother, but I'm sitting across yeah. the table from a leader. <laughs> you're okay, leading. You're You leading. are leading. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know what? What what are you leading? What drives you here? You come to work. Yeah. 
what's on your heart? Yeah, uh, for me, my, my biggest thing is uh, impacting souls, mm-hmm. uh, saving souls, leading people to Christ, giving people hope. Um, our slogan for YAPAC Outreach is, you are important, and our job is to be the hope. I know that um, for myself, I, I love helping people today because I would not be here if not for all the people who prayed for me. Mm-hmm. The, peop- the, the, the pastor that gave me the opportunity to have a, an encounter with the Lord at 14. I mean, God used that man in a mighty way. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's so many. Along the way, there's a lot of people that played a significant part. And today I see that. Now, I couldn't see that when I was in the world. Yeah. But I recognize that all those people that God used for me to, to impact my life, they received treasure in heaven for all the souls that I reach today. Nice. My thought mm-hmm. is, is that if I can help one man, what if that one your young man, what if that one young man or that young lady will go and reach a million people, do more than I can do? I want to reach that one person, yeah. just like someone tried to reach me. You know, it reminds me of the story of Saul before he became Paul. Yeah. Ananias. You know, he was all in. He was all in for what he believed. Yeah. Okay. He went about persecuting Christians until that one moment. Mm. And it flipped the script. And he became all in for Christ. That's you. Yeah. You were all in with what you were doing. Completely in. You were driven. Now I see a driven man for Christ. That's powerful. And that's all God. So, Marco, as we uh, wind down, and I, we honestly could, could talk with you for hours, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you have work to do. And I don't want this podcast to be the thing that slows you down because there are people that need you. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, final thoughts as we, as we wind this conversation down. Uh, for those that are watching, somebody's out there like, hey, my child's in a gang running with the wrong people. I'm in a gang running with all people. There's no mm-hmm. hope for me. Oh, yeah, so he had his break. There's no hope for me. What do you say? You got you got a couple of seconds face-to-face with that person. Yeah. What do you tell them? Yeah, I, I think that we have to understand that every every child, men and women, was, was made in the image of God. Every person is looking for a place to serve and to help somebody else. Now, that takes sacrifice. What I would say is don't give up on that person, whoever it is that you're thinking, whoever's watching, don't give up on that person, even if you don't see the breakthrough. All the people that prayed for me, that impacted my life, they tell me today, man, there was times where I gave up. Mm. I didn't see the fruit. Mm. And I look at them and I said, thank God you didn't. Thank God you didn't give up. Yeah. Thank God you stayed steadfast because look where we're at today. Today, I'm running a ministry, YAPAC Outreach. We're able to support good, supply goods. Edify and encourage ministries to do their job. So everything that the devil tried to use me for, the enemy tried to use me for in the world, God turned it around and is using it for good. So when you see a homeless guy on the street or when you see someone that's hungry or when you see someone in need, the Bible says that he who oppresses the poor dishonors the maker. But he who is kind, generous, and graceful honors the father. So we have to remember that we treat everybody equally. Yeah. Everybody, whether they're in a gang, whatever their background is, they are important. Mm. Every man and Mm. woman is important. Mm. Yep. And I think when we sacrifice of our time, talent, and treasure and invest into people, God almost assuredly has to move. 
Well, he's certainly moved mm. here in this conversation. Right. He's moved in this room, I'll tell oh, you yeah. that much. Um, and, and I know he's moving in your life. And um, to see what you're doing to transfer what's happening in the world to what really should be happening in the kingdom um, mm -hmm. is amazing. I can't thank you enough. Um, and to our viewers who um, join in and, and they tune in every week, and those who hear about this and tune in and find this podcast on our channel, mm -hmm. don't just see something and say something. Do something. Just Marco did something. And I commend you for it, um, and I believe there's many treasures for you in heaven. Um, thank you for your time here today. I know on behalf of not just Curtis, who's sitting here mm -hmm. with me, but our entire Echo Stop Live podcast team that travels, who's witnessed what we just witnessed in this conversation, um, each of us are moved. And so um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank um, you, guys. Appreciate you, Thank you. Yes, thank and you so uh, to our viewers, thanks for tuning in and being coming a part of this journey. I hope you feel what we feel here. Um, we're keeping an eye out for you, and we'll be back every week. Mon uh, on our Friday uh, podcast um, at 8.30. Um, but uh, tune in during the week because we'll have some specials planned for you when we get back from our road trip. Thank you so much. See you next week.